My name is Noah McGraw. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Today is Saturday, April 15th. Here are the three biggest stories from the past week. Our Monday cover story, Goodbye Instructor, Hello Research, How the Romance Languages Department is Adapting to Proposed Cuts in Its Faculty. On Wednesday, the Faculty Senate passed a new policy to improve how the university responds to reports of sexual assault. And finally, UO for You, after running an uncontested campaign in the ASUO election, didn't release its campaign platform until the day after voting started. Any word on Russian interference? You're listening to the Daily Emerald Weekly News Wrap-Up. I'm Emerson Malone. I'm a podcast editor with the Daily Emerald. I'm Max Thornberry. And I'm Alec Cowan. Our lead story today, on Thursday, April 6th last week, 21 non-tenured faculty members and 10 staff members in the College of Arts and Sciences were told that they won't be hired back by the University of Oregon next year. This comes as no surprise as the university copes with budget deficits. However, some faculty members are concerned that the administrators are valuing academic rankings over student success. And while faculty cuts for the Romance Language Department have not yet been finalized, students and faculty are worried about the decision. Max, you wrote this story, and just to clarify, can you explain the difference between who's a faculty member and who's a staff member at the College of Arts and Sciences? Of course. So faculty members are instructors, professors, people that are involved in teaching courses that are actually in the classroom. Staff members are people that are employed by the College of Arts and Sciences, but are not involved in any kind of teaching. And these changes are part of the university's plan to improve its status as a flagship research institution, which Provost and Senior Vice President Scott Coltrane says is about training master's and PhD students. So the idea is to cut non-tenured faculty today in order to make room for tenured faculty members tomorrow. But why can't they just give tenure to existing faculty members rather than fire them? So tenure is a tricky thing. A lot of these instructors are not only not tenured, they are on what is called the non-tenure track. So all of them have master's degrees, that is a minimum requirement, but very few of them have PhDs. And so tenured faculty members, also referred to as professors, hold PhDs. They participate in teaching, research, and publication. Instructors, on the other hand, are focused mainly on teaching. That is why they are at the university. So there are some instructors who conduct research and publish their research findings in academic journals, things like that. They write books. But those instructors that participate in that are definitely in the minority. Could you explain how these faculty cuts are going to affect students who are trying to take language courses? Yeah. So full-time instructors may lose their job. Now, these are instructors, non-tenure track faculty members. And so a full-time instructor in the Romance Languages Department, for example, they teach three classes per term. And they represent roughly 60 students a term or 180 students a year. So if five of these instructors are cut at the end of this year, five is the number that was initially proposed to the Romance Language Department. That's how many they're going to have to cut. 900 seats would be unavailable for students trying to take language classes next year. And fewer seats means fewer language classes overall. So why is this affecting the College of Arts and Sciences the most? 
So every college on campus is trying to figure out how to deal with this problem, but the College of Arts and Sciences and Languages in particular is hurting because of the way that classes are designed. The College of Arts and Sciences is the largest college on campus, and 96% of their budget is personnel related. That means that if they're told that they have to make cuts, there are very few options other than cutting faculty in order to meet budget demands. Language programs face one of the largest challenges because of the logistics of learning and teaching a language. Uh, these instructors are te that are teaching the one, two, 300 level skills courses, the beginning language courses, are teaching these courses year in, year out. So they have a lot of time to really refine their class and refine the coursework so that it's the best overall experience for students. Uh, whereas the professors, the tenure track faculty that are teaching the upper division uh, literature courses, these things are taught once a term every two years. So they have a long time to organize these programs, but they don't have a lot of time to really refine them year in and year out. And how are professors at the College of Arts and Science taking this? There's a real fear that the university is prioritizing some programs in colleges over others running against the liberal arts education that UO proposes that it gives to students that come here. Uh, one professor, uh, Gina Saki, who's a full professor of Italian, she's an assistant department head for Romance Languages, says that it remains the case that this is a comprehensive university, and she says that you can't feed one division by starving others. She also gives the example of saying that we can't afford to eliminate language programs or decrease the number of students who can get access to studying language in an environment in which globalization is so important, in which international understanding is so important. We live in this globalized world, and by cutting language programs, we are taking away the ability to have students participate in a global society. She also says that while she is capable of teaching first and second year languages, she also understands that the instructors that are teaching these courses the first and second year courses year in and year out are going to be much better equipped to teach these classes than she can. She can teach a literature class, but she can't teach a 400 level literature class to students that don't speak and yeah, read Italian. Basic sentence structure stuff. It, it, it won't work that way. Some instructors are also frustrated saying that it's disheartening that programs and people are being cut on the basis of metrics. Uh, UO President Michael Schill wrote this week on his blog, Open Mic, that these cuts weren't based solely on metrics, but were decided as something that is going to improve the quality of the university as a whole. If we have more tenured professors, then we have more research. More research means higher rankings. Higher rankings makes our degrees look better. So when we go to an employer and we say, we have a degree from the University of Oregon, it adds value, or that's what administration is saying. President Schill is also saying that these non-tenure track faculty members, them being cut is more or less part of the job. They are they're being brought here to fill a a part-time need in a department or in a class that grows and then when that class begins to shrink, we don't need them anymore. For example, uh, a graph that you can see in the story shows the number of students that are were enrolled in 100 level romance language courses over the last 5 years and it has been steadily going down. In fall 2011, there were 918 students enrolled in 100-level skill courses. In fall 2016, it dropped down to 618. It does appear as if those numbers are starting to go up, but we don't have the, the information yet. We'll have to wait until next year to see if the numbers continue to climb. No me gusta. And our second story, at Wednesday's faculty senate meeting, a new policy for sexual violence complaints was passed. The student's sexual and gender-based harassment and violence complaint and response policy was created to improve how the university responds to sexual harassment and violence complaints. 
Originally approved by the Senate in November, the policy had some additional changes made before it was voted on again this week. Emma Henderson wrote this story for the Emerald. Alec, what does this policy change about the way sexual assault is reported on the University of Oregon campus? The policy essentially outlines what UO employees must do when a student tells them about an experience of sexual assault or harassment. Uh, most faculty and staff are no longer required to report what students disclose to them about sexual violence experiences. And there are still certain university employees who are designated reporters, such as athletic directors, uh, deans and department heads, uh, residential assistants, and UOPD officers. I hope Dana Altman's listening. Melissa Barnes, the graduate student member on the policy task force, is pleased with how the policy has turned out. However, she is uncomfortable that UOPD officers have to be on the list of designated reporters, something that was non-negotiable, she said. President Schill now needs to approve the policy in order for it to be put in place. Barnes said she expects both the Senate and President Schill to sign off on this new policy and, quote, put the institution on the right side of history on these issues, unquote. All right. And finally, our last story today, UO for You just ran an uncontested campaign in the ASUO election this week. The group updated its platform on Tuesday, a day after voting started in this election, to outline its eight goals for changing campus life. Emerald reporter Andy Field reported on these campaign ideals, which include mandatory cultural competency training for incoming freshmen, increasing student presence and pressure in Salem to lobby for increased state funding for the university, enabling students to use food stamps on campus, relocating a Eugene student food pantry to the U of O. So let's talk about this first notch, mandatory cultural competency training for incoming freshmen. Max, could you break that apart for us? Yeah, so this means that UO4U wants to urge UO administration to enforce training for freshmen that will cover lessons on social justice terms. For example, terms like cisgender, genderqueer, ableism, and the importance of using proper nouns to respect other gender identities. Uh, now ASUO president Amy Shank has worked with the Oregon Student Association while she was the UO Student Government State Affairs Commissioner to push a bill that requires all Oregon public universities and community colleges to implement these trainings. All members in the ASUO student government are already required to take two cultural competency training sessions a year. So they're looking to expand this out to all incoming freshmen. This specific training of cultural competency for first-year students has been a priority for former ASUO presidents, including Beatriz Gutierrez, who served in the 2014-2015 school year, and her successor, Helena Schlegel, uh, but neither of them were able to bring these changes to the university. And the second item, increasing student presence in Salem to increase state funding. UO administrators project that the state funding will account for 7% of the university's budget, which leaves the university to rely on its tuition revenue, which makes up 81% of the university budget. Alec, what does UO4U want? Essentially, UO4U wants to get more UO students involved by handing out things like interest cards in classrooms and inviting students to informational meetings where they would educate students on what they are actually lobbying for. Then, they want to mobilize students to attend Oregon Ways and Means Committee hearings and Higher Education Coordinating Commission, or HECC, uh, meetings to demand more funding for Oregon universities. Shank did help run the March 9th UO Lobby Day, where groups of students, alumni, and faculty met with state legislators, including Governor Kate Brown, at the Oregon State Capitol in Salem to demand more funding towards higher education. And the third item, pushing for SNAP 
that's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefits or food stamps to be accepted on campus in some capacity. Currently, the Duck Store does not accept these federal food benefits. Max, how does UO4U want this to change? So since SNAP benefits can't be used to buy hot foods, the group wants to advocate for organizations that sell cold food, such as the Duck Store, to accept federal food benefits. Nice. Our second food item on the list, establish a student food pantry on campus. Alec, take it. Well, currently, the Episcopal Campus Ministry has a student food pantry which provides free food to college students with a valid student ID, and it's over on East 19th Avenue. UO for You wants the Episcopal Campus Ministry to be relocated to the university. Shank said that she plans to form a working group with the pantry's owner, Reverend Doug Hale, the UO Student Food Security Working Group, and the UO Sustainability Center to begin looking into bringing the pantry to campus. Both Oregon State University and Western Oregon University have a food pantry located on their campus. All right. So that was just four of the six campaign planks that UO4U released. But it's worth noting that they came very late into the election season. Even though UO4U was running unopposed, these ideas weren't publicly shared until Tuesday, a day after voting started. Max, what are your thoughts on this? So I, I think it's interesting that despite the fact that they were running unopposed, there seemed to be a continuing discussion for, I, I don't know, when they when this slate got together. They didn't seem to be able to determine what goals all of them had, which I think is really interesting. If you don't have anyone to run against you, I see how that might make it difficult for you to determine, okay, these are the things we want to accomplish because you can't say, well, we want to accomplish something different than someone else. But if you are going to recruit a, a team of people to run with you, I would think that one of the first things you would do is make sure that they have similar goals as right. as you have, right? So you're saying like competition is sort of a motivator to develop and refi- refine your campaign, but it, that you offer you did not have. Exactly. And I think that if they did have some kind of opposition, we would have seen these things earlier because a campaign has to has to sell itself to to voters, right? And we saw this in the the presidential campaign. We had Donald Trump and we had Hillary Clinton. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, a lot of times they talked less about policy and more about how they were different than the other other candidate. But at least we we started to talk about policy. UO for you didn't have a chance to talk about that because it sounds like they they didn't know what they wanted themselves. What do you think, Alec? I think it's definitely interesting considering the atmosphere that created the slate, especially considering how they were really gunning to have a, a one one slate running this year as opposed to three different campaigns. It's been said a lot of times that each candidate could have run their own independent campaigns and instead chose to compromise and, and make this one slate. And so I think definitely part of that was trying to create a slate that had a diverse range of opinions. But in that same regard, I think sometimes those opinions might clash and lead to some of the delays that we see here um, with their slate uh, campaign policies coming out pretty late in the election season. You can read more about all these stories, how the faculty cuts are going to take the romance out of our languages, the new sexual assault reporting policy, and the uo for us New World Order online at thedailyemerald.com. That's all we have time for today. My name is Emerson Malone. I'm Alec Cowan. I'm Max Thornberry. And guess what? If you'd like to hear more from the Emerald Podcast Network, you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and listen to these episodes right on the Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening.